Um, I'm glad to be back this week, too. I, I got away for just a couple of weeks with my family, which was really great. Uh, anybody get away at all or get at least get some rest, even if it was a staycation recently? Anybody out there? A few of you. How many of you, you feel like you haven't rested in seven years? Any of you out there? Okay. I feel you. I, I was in that, uh, I was in your shoes uh, a month ago and just feeling like, okay, this, this life's hard. And getting away, I decided to do this thing even for a week before and after I got away where for 21 days, I didn't get on the internet. I'm still alive, guys. I'm breathing. And it was this weird thing that happened. Uh, when I got off the internet, I, I realized like even though I didn't have social media influencers telling me how to live or uh, news stations or good news stations or fake news stations telling me what to do, uh, God was still on the throne and he was still in control. It was awesome. And um, just being reminded of the providence of God. And as I get into this morning, I'm gonna tell you some weeks I, I come up here and I preach because I'm like, you guys really need to get this together. This morning, the Lord has really put something on my heart that I feel like over the last couple of weeks, he has been saying to me personally. And I wanna share just kind of what he's been saying to me and what that has looked like. It's just a, a one-week standalone message that is called Where the Spirit Leads. Where the Spirit Leads. And as we get into this this morning, I'll tell you, uh, that's a pretty churchy title. Would you agree? Where the Spirit Leads. I'm going to be using some fairly churchy language. And if you're new to Christianity and you don't really understand things of the Bible yet, we started this church just for you. All right? We, we say it every week. Nobody's too far from God. Experience life change through Jesus. That the church today should be a hospital for sinners not a museum for saints. So if you're new here, welcome. If you're attending online for the very first time, welcome. In fact, I'm gonna be at the guest center afterwards for those in the room. Uh, come by and say hi, we got a free mug for you. But I'm gonna use some fairly churchy language. We're just gonna study Galatians 5 together because I just feel like with all the tumultuous things happening in our culture, maybe we might need a little churchy sermon. Would that be Okay. Because I, I want to study, we do this every week, study God's word, but I want to share some very particular things that I think are very important with the chaos around us. So will you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Galatians 5, verse 13. I've been going through Galatians in my quiet time, and if you're new to this letter, it's one of Paul's earliest letters. Galatians and 1 Thessalonians were the two letters that he wrote first. He probably wrote Galatians around 48 or 49 AD. It was a letter that we divide into six chapters, but it actually originally had no chapters. It was a letter that circulated to the churches in the province of the Roman Empire that was called Galatia. And in that area, the, the letter would circle to the different churches that he had started, and they would read this out loud because most of them couldn't read. Someone who could read would read it out loud for everybody to hear. And in it, he's going to address some of the issues they were facing in their culture, that they had begun to teach that Christianity was about following these rules and Jewish customs, that you had to do things like be circumcised is the particular thing that it's addressing. And he's going to set up a different way of living, that we don't live according to rules and regulations, but we are led by the Holy Spirit to love God and to love others. So that's where the title of the sermon comes from. And if you feel like Christianity is just a bunch of rules and regulations, I want to share with you today why it's not and actually what the New Testament teaches us of how to live. The theme verse for this morning is my second favorite verse in the whole Bible. 
I'm going to also share later on this morning my favorite verse in the whole Bible. So my two favorite verses, if you don't like it, suck it up this week because I love it. And Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, Paul writes to the church in Galatia, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's a metaphor. Goes on, and he says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That he's died to self, as he says in another passage, so that he might be alive in Christ. That's at the heart of what I'd love for us to share and to study with each other. Because when I was gone for two weeks, and I didn't have all the, the things telling me how to live and what to do, I began to really just reflect on what the Spirit of God was doing. And we actually went to northern Michigan. There weren't many COVID cases up there. And I just wanted to get away and not take any devices because I realized, well, if I'm being honest, I realized like my boys, uh, one of them was 11, and he didn't know how to catch a baseball with a glove because I'm a bad father. But I also wanted to just teach him some very basic things and to spend time with him. Here's the thing that happened. I got outdoors a bunch, hung out with my family, hung out with the Lord. And you're like, that doesn't sound fun, hanging out with my kids. It was a blast. And I got so rejuvenated. I don't want to share why that verse in this passage we're going to look at has been speaking to me. Is that cool? All right, here we go. You ready to study God's word together? here's the question I want to ask yourself. We're getting churchy this morning. Have you been crucified with Christ? Yes, thank you. You know, being crucified with Christ, that's a really church word, but it just means the way that Jesus surrendered his life for us by giving his life on the cross that you metaphorically would give your life up daily to be used by God, that you no longer take control, but you relinquish it. Do you think God is still in control today? With COVID-19 and all the things going on, do you think he's still at the helm, on the throne? That's at the heart of what I want to discuss. Let's look together. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. It says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Look at this. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. It's not about living according to this law and rules and regulations. It's about living, look at verse 24, by the Spirit, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step, be led by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. That I want to tell you that from the, the Christian perspective, to be a follower of Jesus means that first and foremost, you have been crucified with Christ and no longer live. You live a devoted life where the fruit of the Spirit lives in and through you rather than your selfish desires, or in this passage, the flesh that we'll talk about here in a second. 
Another way of saying this today is that we don't live by the latest YouTube video or a social media influencer or the latest book written by an intelligent person who doesn't know Almighty God, but by the Holy Spirit affirmed by God's word. Now, if you're new to Christianity, say, well, why would I do that? Think about this for a second. We really believe as Christians that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, he's omnipotent, he's the whole thing, right? He created the universe in six days. He, he keeps the earth spinning on its axis while it travels in an elliptical pattern around the sun in line with all the other elliptical patterns and all the other galaxies across the universe. And he does all this while knowing every hair on your head, knowing the day that you would be born, knowing the day that you would die, knowing everything that is going on in all creation. He's able to keep it all together. In the middle of all of that, he gave his life for you so that you could know him Live with him eternally in heaven, yes, but know him as we studied the last five or six weeks together. That beautiful gospel, the good news that he's the most powerful, most knowledgeable being to help you face the tumultuous season we find ourselves in. I wanna talk about that. Will you pray with me? God, I just, I thank you for each person here and attending online. We stop and pause in our, our lives and the chaos around us, and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit. You would, we pray that you would speak to us about our lives this morning, about how to live differently, how to relinquish control. We give you this morning, Lord. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen. Amen. I told you you got away a little while. We went up there, and you know, I have two boys. They're rowdy. I always ask you to pray for me, but my sweet one is the eight-year-old daughter. She's like the sweetest thing in the world. The teacher literally told me this uh, year when she goes away for a day and there's a substitute teacher, she basically tells Jenna she's in charge because Jenna will follow all the rules. And she, uh, we were going up to northern uh, Michigan and the one thing my daughter really wanted to do, I don't know why, she's super sweet and kind, but she said she wanted to go fishing. Now I love fishing, but I thought to my eight-year-old daughter, it would feel like we were throwing hooks in the water to torture God's creation because that's just how she is. She cries about stuff. But no, she was like, I really want to go fishing, Dad. I'm really wanting to go fishing. So here's what I did. I was like, hey, we're going outdoors, no devices. I took him to like the kiddie pond. Got the license, decided we're going to go fishing. Caught a bunch of tiny little fish. I thought, this is great. They're loving it. No. My daughter's like, those fish are too small, Dad. I can do, I, I'm much better than that. You got to believe in me. And so she's like, the next morning I had three hours left on the license. She's like, I, just you and me, Dad, no more of the boys. Let's go fishing somewhere for real. So I'd never been up to Northern Michigan in this area fishing. So I was just like, I found the closest like lake. It was mainly for like skiing and wakeboarding, but they had like a pier that you could walk out onto and the water was super shallow, but it was the only place I knew to go. So I'm like, we're not going to catch very big fish here. The water's so shallow. But I was like, okay, if you want to, we went out there. I cast the line three times on the third cast. I felt a bite and over the next 10 minutes, my daughter and I reeled in this sucker together. Look at that thing. Woo! Now, there are two things that are awesome. First of all, uh, we had fish tacos for two days. That was delicious. Absolutely delicious. The other thing was, I, I mean, I love to fish, but I don't do it that often, so we didn't know what that was. So, you know, Pastor Luke is an angler. So uh, some of you know Pastor Luke. He's really into fishing over the Northwest location. And so we asked him what kind of fish this was, and he got really excited because it's probably about a seven-pound smallmouth bass with red eyes, which apparently is really rare. And best part, Luke has never caught one. 
And so I keep showing him this picture all the time. It was amazing. And, you know, I'd like to tell you that I caught that because of my great fishing skills. It's kind of true. But I mainly caught that because I just went out there at a particular time. This very large fish had been swimming around that lake for years and just happened to be in this one shallow area. And I cast my line as far as I could. And it happened to just go right in front of him. And he happened to pounce at it, not knowing what it was at just the right moment. And I could have been fishing there for a thousand different casts and never caught a fish like that. But the timing of it was just perfect. And I'm not saying it was like the miraculous catch from Luke chapter 7 when Jesus has Peter cast his net to the side and it can't even reel in all the fish, although it was kind of like that, let's be honest. But I'm saying that in that moment, the timing was everything. And I want to use that as an illustration or as a metaphor for some of us spiritually today in our culture. Because some of you, the timing has not been great. Some of you, you have lost your jobs because of COVID. You have been furloughed. Some of you have dealt with different issues of health, marriage issues, issues with your children throughout this. Some of you have lived in very angry ways over the last few months because of everything going on in society around us. Some of you even, like, you're trying to figure out what to do with your kids right now because it's the end of the summer as far as school goes. You're supposed to send your kids back to school, only you're not sure to send them to the physical building or whether to do a virtual online or whether to do a combination or send them into one of the other virtual online academies or maybe you're going to go do private school or maybe you're going to send them to homeschooling or maybe you're going to teach them at home and do a co-op and you don't know what to do. You just want to raise them up to know some things and not be crazy. <laughs> Isn't it hard to make decisions today waiting on God's timing? It would have been easy to take control and try and figure out how I could catch a fish like that. It just, I just got lucky. That's all there was. And what I want to tell you today, I don't think it's luck. It's a matter of, for you, spiritually speaking today, do you trust that God in control is better than you fixing things? Because in Galatians chapter 5, it teaches us that just following rules and regulations is not the pattern for a Christian. The pattern for a Christian is hearing from the Spirit, following Him, and seeing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I'll explain where I'm going with this because I think this is really important for us as Christians today. And for me in particular, I'm gonna share kind of what I've been going through for the last year. And I haven't shared this on a Sunday morning and I just felt moved that I finally just need to share this because I believe that God is in control. I believe he knows the timing and the perfect timing for all the things that are occurring. He was not surprised by COVID-19. He's not surprised by the things happening in your individual lives. And though he may feel far from you, we can rely on the affirmation of God's word that his spirit is near you if you are living a life devoted to him and surrendered to him. Here's what I want to share with you very quickly. The world needs devoted followers of Jesus led by his Holy Spirit. If we simply just had devoted followers of Jesus led by his Holy Spirit, people would think differently about Christians and the issues that we're facing today. Would you agree with that? So I want to give you just some simple points from Galatians chapter 5 about that very thing. The first point is this, and this is the longest point, your flesh and the spirit are in battle with each other. Your flesh, not your physical flesh, it's talking about those sinful desires in your life. We read the list, we'll look at the list here in a moment. But that sinful human side of you, the fleshly desires are in a battle with God's spirit and what he wants to do. Don't take my word. Look at verse 15 through 18. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. 
one of the things, and Craig, I'm getting a little feedback back here, so thanks for, I don't know what that is. Anybody else hearing that? No, it's just me. Uh, what I, what I uh, think about getting bit and devoured, you know, being off of social media for three weeks, you would be amazing at how much compassion you could have for human beings again. The hatred and animosity that you see in some of those spaces is heartbreaking. And Paul writes to the church in Galatia, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, instead of doing that, living according to the fleshly desires, destroying each other, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other. They're in battle with each other. You may not realize this, but every day you wake up, you're in a spiritual battle going on for your soul and the choices that you're making during a season like this. The enemy, the Hasatan, Satan, it just means the adversary, who, by the way, is not equal to God. He was a fallen angel created by God, but he's the great deceiver who's trying to be destructive to human beings and our patterns in this world. And he wants to use all the tensions we've been having in the world to turn Christians against each other, to bite and devour one another. And Paul writes to the church in Galatians, says, I know you're disagreeing about these Jewish customs and being circumcised and these different things, but don't bite and devour each other. Instead, be led by the Holy Spirit of God. I think it's a word for us today. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I want to illustrate this for you for just a second. And this is like a first grade science experiment. And you're going to be like, dude, why are you doing this? I'm going to show you. So I've got some oil here and I pour it into the cup. You can all see that hopefully. And I'm going to ask the cameras for those online to zoom in nice and tight so that you can see all this at home. It's really elaborate and a very difficult experiment. So I've got water in this cup and I'm going to pour the water into the oil and mix the two. And literally within seconds, look at that. Good job. Give it up through the camera crew this service, getting that up there. Nice. Within seconds, you can see that the oil immediately separates from the water and vice versa. You know that. You're like, duh, okay, I get it. Oil and water don't mix. But do you know why? Any scientists in the room? I am because I have Google. And Google told me that the reason this occurs is because the oil molecules are non-polarized. Kyle, am I right? Non-polarized. And the water particles are polarized, meaning this, that the oil particles will naturally attract to one another and the water particles will naturally attract to one another, causing them to separate between each other. Another way of saying this is that oil's social media newsfeed has a particular algorithm that brings up the other types of things that oil already inherently likes so that they will find other people who already believe what they believe. In this news feed, he's got pictures of grand oil derricks going by, fossilized fuels. I'm full of oil jokes this morning. And then the water in its social media news feed will have all the political reasons why oil is wrong and why oil has been addressing COVID-19 wrong and why they're actually the godly one and the oil is the sinful one and we separate us from them. And here's where we start preaching. And I, I encourage a lot of the people that I minister with, and you don't have to agree with this, but that 
spiritually speaking, when I see people talk in language of us and them. You, you know who them is, don't you? I don't know who them is in your life, but you know who them is. Those other people that are wrong and believe differently than me. And they may be wrong. Okay, they may be wrong. But we naturally begin to separate ourselves and say this is the evil people and we are the good people. But the Bible teaches us that have all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And as human beings, the Bible teaches us that we should be reconcilers with God and other people. You remember that word? We've been using it a few times that we should seek out reconciliation. I thought, you know what? We're not all that smart. Let's define it. So the Cambridge Dictionary online defines reconciliation as a situation in which two people or groups of people become friendly again after they have argued. It doesn't mean that they agree. It's not what it means. But that they find commonalities and common ground in healing reconciliation between one another despite their differences. Unfortunately, within Christianity and even in the American church, you see too much of our churches and Christians who look more like oil and water than they do the reconcilers looking for common ground to draw people closer to God and to one another. Yeah, and don't take the Cambridge Dictionary's word for it. I want you to take the Apostle Paul's words for it. I read a little bit of it in Galatians. I'm gonna come back to it, but he writes a number of letters and one of them is to the church in Corinth. If you think things are messed up today here, the city of Corinth was super messed up. It was a port city. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. We all tracking? Sailors came in for the night. They left the next morning. That's how it worked. There was sexual sin going on in the church and in the first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul addresses that. And then the second letter, he begins to talk about the transformation that can occur. And I told you I'd share my favorite verse in all the Bible and it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. I was a 19-year-old fraternity guy who was very far from God, didn't like going to church or doing anything that had to do with that, and I began to realize that my way of doing life wasn't working out. And rather than drinking myself to sleep every night, I decided, you know what, I'm gonna try to surrender my life to Jesus, and I had this thing that happened in my life where God quickly transformed me, and I knew I was a new creation, but I was still struggling with a lot of sinful habits. Did you know that in the letter to the Galatian church in the first chapter, Paul talks about when he first encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter nine, he goes for three years into the wilderness, into Arabia, before he goes and presents himself to Peter and the other apostles. And then after that, he goes away for 14 years, 17 years in total before he begins his active ministry. Because the new creation had come, but God was changing things in his life as he was reconciling him and with other people. And I love that verse because if you're full of brokenness and sin and like I was and I still can go back to sometimes, it tells me that the spirit of God can transform your life. You can be a new creation. The old could be gone, the new could come. But I forget the three verses that come after it. You see, right after that, he says, all this is from God. Look how many times he uses this word reconciled. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Leave that up there for just a second. The Bible teaches us that we used to be like oil and water with God. Because of the things you did this last week that weren't godly, you couldn't be in the presence of a perfect God. Romans 3.23 again, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
but because of the work of Jesus crucified on the cross, atoning for our wrongdoing and mistakes. Because Jesus overcame the grave on the third day, overcoming death itself, anybody no longer looks like oil and water with God. You could be in the presence of God, and he could be in your life today. In the first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul actually talks about that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. No longer is God's spirit in the most holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was kept because of the work of Jesus when he's crucified on the cross in the Gospel of Matthew, the temple curtain tears in two, and the spirit of God now resides in the lives of those people who have devoted themselves to the work of Jesus. And we don't have to live by rules and regulations anymore. We are led by the Spirit of God. And that's what Paul is getting to, to the letter to the Galatian church. Then why do most Christians still feel like they're like this with God? And then it's not just that you're reconciled with God. You now have a ministry of reconciliation. If you're a Christian, follower of Jesus, you, not, not like just the good Christians, I'm talking about you and me. You have a ministry of reconciliation. You are to help people no longer be oil and water with God and oil and water with each other. Then why are you creating so much division in our society? Why are we doing that to each other? We should be doing anything to reconcile people back to God and to one another. It's not just verse 18. Look as he goes on. That God was, again, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's the Christian message. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God that you would see the righteousness, the Dekai is saying the justice of God because people see that at work in your life. Yes, that applies to racial reconciliation that we addressed last weekend, but it's talking about even more broadly all forms of reconciliations with human beings between one another and with God because the Holy Spirit intercedes and transforms that the old could be gone, the new could come. So there's no us and them. There's just human beings and God. And he has redeemed us. There are just those who have received his forgiveness and his grace and those who have not. So, told you the first point was the longest, but second point I want to share with you, the problem is the acts of the flesh are winning. We're in a spiritual battle, but the acts of the flesh are winning. And you're like, what are the acts of the flesh? What in the world does that mean? He defined it, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, Seen that today? That, that, it says that an act of the flesh is hatred, discord, jealousy. And then my new favorite one, I didn't notice this before, everything going on over the last six months, fits of rage. Anybody have a fit of rage recently? Okay, 10 of you, the rest of y'all are liars. I know it. You've had a fit of rage at somebody and broke out on them. Some of you did it on the car ride over here with your children. Some of you do it every night when you put your kids to bed. I don't know what it is, but like just it comes out, right? And we often think of sexual morality. Obviously, those are broken, sinful issues that separate us from God. But that same thing, that fit of rage, according to this passage, does that. Selfish ambition. Then look at this. Dissensions. Factions. Us and them. And envy. Drunkenness. Orgies. And the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
You know what I realized as I was away and I was studying Galatians? Um, too often the last six months, I didn't want to admit it, but my life sometimes looked like that list of the flesh. And the acts of the flesh, particularly just the like exhaustion and the animosity of people in our culture, it just felt like it was seeping into my life. You've been there? And I began to realize like, man, those of us as reconcilers for the Lord today, we need more of the fruit of the spirit in our life and less of the first list. The world needs the fruit of the spirit. If the world saw the fruit of the spirit, they would begin to be reconciled to God and to one another naturally because the spirit of God is all powerful and all knowing. It can see through into the real issues that is going on in someone's life, not just the actions that they're doing. Galatians 5.22, here's the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. But here's the thing, those who belong to Christ Jesus have Again, as we started with, crucified the flesh. Those fleshly desires, the hatred and the animosity and the fits of rage and the drunkenness and the sexual immorality, the things that we escape to, the ways that we lash out, that we have been crucified with Christ. Those fleshly desires have been surrendered to the Lord with its passions and all of its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit that the way that we should be making our choices during this difficult season is relying on the timing of God, as I shared in that illustration, by saying, God, what is your spirit doing in my circumstances today? I'm gonna relinquish control because you know better than I do. See, here's the difficulty, though. We can, we can live this way. We can know that the acts of the flesh are winning and we need to see the fruit of the spirit, but sometimes Christians go, well, then I'm just gonna work on being better in these areas. Right? And again, we turn it into rules and say, I'm gonna be more forgiving person. I'm gonna work on forgiveness. I'm gonna work on uh, kindness or faithfulness or self-control. And we don't understand what it teaches. That's, that's not what it says. There is one fruit of the spirit. It's not like there's like apples and bananas and oranges and strawberries and you gotta work on each of the things. You either have the fruit of the spirit. There's one fruit. It comes from the tree that is given life by the Holy Spirit of God. And so what you need is not to work on those issues in your life. What you need is more of the spirit of God in your life. And how did it tell you to see more of the spirit of God in your life? By crucifying the fleshly desires in your life and surrendering an act of obedience to him. The fourth and final point that I wanna share is that if you have been crucified with Christ, the life you now live will be full of the fruit of the spirit. Another way is to say, we won't see the Holy Spirit if we're not fully devoted to the Lord, or to Jesus as Lord. That's what Galatians 2.20 that we started with said, right? I've been crucified with Christ. I've died to self. The old is gone, the new is here. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Without that type of crucifixion to self, that death to self, you won't see the spirit of God living in and through us into the lives of other people in our world. And that's what the world needs is the fruit of the spirit, not more of our control. So as we close out our time, I wanna read this passage that has really spoken to me and what I've been going on, what's been going on in my own life. I'm gonna share something, it won't be very long, but something that I haven't shared over the last year. See, uh, if you wanna know, how do you know if you've been crucified with Christ, if you're really devoted, if you've really surrendered your life, I think sometimes you'll feel like this story. 
In John chapter seven, Jesus tells the story of, well, Luke tells the story of Jesus when he goes to a Pharisee's house. And it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. You may be here and you see a whole lot of that list of the acts of the flesh in your life. And you're just like, I'm just never gonna be one of those good Christians. Or maybe you are one of the good Christians and you're seeing some of that stuff creep back into your life. See, this, this woman, who was very sinful, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Literally, she gets down on her hands and knees She's weeping because of the Lord and what he means to her life and that he would forgive someone like her and her tears fall onto his feet and she takes his hair or her hair and wipes away all the dirt and the grime from walking with open sandals on dusty roads and getting all of that muck into her hair. And then after she has wiped his feet clean, she kisses his feet with her lips I'm a germ-phobe. Can I just say it out loud? And she, in this moment, she kisses his feet. Then she takes this alabaster jar full of perfume, which may not sound like, oh, big deal. She threw some Axe body spray on his feet. No, this was expensive stuff. Wages that she would never be able to replace, even to waste a drop on it on another human being, really didn't make sense. And, and Simon, this Pharisee, calls her out on it. And here's what Jesus has to say in response. If you go down to verse 44, then he turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet you do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to tell you why I was just moved and reading this passage again recently, that she just was so moved by the work of Jesus in her life that she weeps on her hands and knees, on his feet, wipes it with her hair, kisses his feet, pours expensive perfume on him because she's just so overwhelmingly devoted to him. Just an act of worship and reverence and, and bowing down before him. She kisses his feet. See, when I went away, uh, the last couple months have been really difficult. Uh, about a year ago, I started getting pain in my upper right side. I'm not a doctor. I assumed it was gallstones. I'm getting old. And I had my appendix removed a few years ago. But what happened was back in February, I had started having some other weird symptoms happening. In addition to that, I went to the doctor. They weren't sure what was going on. None of this is COVID-19 related. It's been going on for over a year. And then in May, I started getting a lot more pain in other parts of my, my stomach. And in the last two months, I've lost over 15 pounds. Um, let's, let's be honest, I needed to lose it. 
But some of that was coming from eating healthier and exercising more, and that's been really good. But some of it was just coming because my stomach has just not been right, and I'm just not very hungry most of the time. And I was diagnosed in May with GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, which is a fairly common thing, and I was given medicine to treat it, and it did help some, but it did not go away. And so since it didn't go away, uh, she wanted, my doctor wanted me to get some additional tests, and so it takes a while to get into the GI doctor. I'm going August 5th. I've had some other things come up medically, and I got tested for a particular form of cancer, which I did not have, praise God. And most likely, I don't have anything very serious But I've never really had something like this at my, you know, I'm not that old, I don't think. And to have all this going on, is just really obvious. And for the first time in my life, I've had to think about what would it be like if my kids didn't get to have their dad raise them their whole life. And, you know, again, most likely there's nothing, anything like that happening, but I appreciate your prayers. And I just wanted to be open with my church family about that because it has really changed my life the last two months to begin to think about the brevity of life again and what this life is really about and what really matters and what doesn't really matter. And, And look, I don't want to step on any toes. I think there's a lot of valuable things to disagree about today. But if we're gonna be reconcilers, we need to think about what's the most important thing in our life, that Christ was crucified for the forgiveness of our sins, that anybody can draw near to God eternally because of his work and atoning sacrifice on the cross, because he overcame the grave itself, that we don't have to fear death. We can live eternally with God in heaven and experience him in our lives now, and his Holy Spirit could be at work in and through us. In the most tumultuous season I've ever been in in my life, I could know that God is in control, and that's all that matters. And it doesn't matter whether my kids go to this school or do this with their schooling. It doesn't matter what choices I make about particular cultural issues. What matters is, am I devoted to the Lord? Am I on my hands and knees weeping over him and praying to him and searching out what he wants in my life, a fully surrendered life to him saying, God, I want more of you. I don't wanna be about my control anymore. I wanna be about what you're up to today, Lord. And if I can't see it and I'm not ready to see it, God, I wait on your timing. Because I have been reconciled with you. I know you. I can be reconciled with other believers and I have the ministry of reconciliation and the spiritual battle going on between my flesh and your Holy Spirit will not go on anymore. I relinquish control of the fleshly desires and the hatred and the animosity and the vitriol within our culture. And instead, I choose to live differently being led by your spirit into this season. And you may shake the foundations. The storm may be coming, but I am built on the rock as we're gonna study next weekend not on the shifting sands, and I'm gonna be all right. And I may lose my job, and my kids may have struggles, and we may have troubles in our marriages. We are quarantined for different seasons of life, but you know what? You're gonna be okay. You're gonna see us through if we relinquish control and put you first in our marriage, first in our parenting, first in our work, first in every aspect of our life. But unfortunately, we don't see the level of devotion of this woman with all of her brokenness and shame weeping before her Lord, bowing and saying, giving all of her her time and talents and treasure, saying, God, I'm fully yours. And until we see that, I don't think we'll see the change in our world that we're so desperately desiring. So as we close out, I I told you I was going to share personally with you, and I just want to tell you because it it really, the truth is I was reflecting on the brevity of life. A hundred years from now, you're all dead. 
right? So are you really going to care about some of the issues that have ruined the last six months of your life? See, I'm not telling you they're not valid. They are. We should fight for them as Christians. But I'm telling you that first and foremost, I'm reconciled to Almighty God and I want to have Him living in and through me and I want to lead other people to Him and I don't want anything to get in the way of Him. And you may say I'm wrong. I didn't say this at the other service, but I told our volunteers this recently. I said the one thing I'm not going to give up on is meeting here as much as we can to worship God and being at His feet and surrendering Him. You want me to wear a hazmat suit to do that? I'll do it. I don't care what you want me to do. I want to worship the Lord. And I don't want to, you know, be privy to all of these silly little arguments. Like, I just want to know Jesus crucified, and I want to crucify my fleshly desires and live out a life that demonstrates that God is in control of my life. Not a president, not a a, a government, not anything in our, our culture around us. The first and foremost, my Lord is Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to be, you know, I am reconciled to God. I'm not oil and water with him anymore. And I don't want other people to be that way with him anymore. You think you are so broken and far from him. And he says, no, you don't understand what I have done. Because of the work of Jesus, you can know him. You don't have to face this tumultuous season alone. He is with you. Some of you think I'm getting too excited about this. But I just want to tell you, if you don't make this a bigger deal in your life today, this next year is going to be the worst year of your life. It's going to be miserable for you and everybody around you. And I just want to encourage you. I hope you don't hold this against me. But some of us, we don't know how much time we get. And you're going to waste it. And there are people dying spiritually. And the only hope they have is that you might speak into their lives and reconcile them with you. And you're allowing issues to get between that. To say, God, I want them to know you as I have known you. That's my heart. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you, don't let any human being ever get in the way of you knowing Christ. He created you on purpose, for a purpose. He loves you where you're at. He's redeemed you. He calls you home, and he wants you to live a life for him. He's going to be with you in every step. But will you respond with me as we pray together? God, uh, we love you. We worship you. I pray if there's one, no, many people here in this room or attending online right now who the truth is, uh, they're not sure if they have surrendered their life to you. They've known about you. They've attended church services. They've heard things in the Bible, but, but they don't look like that woman. They haven't responded and fully surrendered their life to you. If that's you here in the room, I didn't do this at the other services, but with every eye closed and heads bowed, I'm gonna ask you in just a moment on the count of three just to raise your hand and I'm not gonna make you do anything, but I wanna pray for you specifically because I've been there. If you'd like to surrender your life fully to Jesus, either here or online in the quietness of your home, I invite you on the count of three, just raise your hand as an act of submission to the Lord. One, Jesus loves you. Two, he redeemed you. Three, he's not done with using your life. Raise it nice and high so I can see you in this room today. I see you right over here. Thanks, man. Praise God for that. I see the two of you over here, the three of you over here. Oh my goodness, guys. I mean, this is COVID church. You guys are supposed to be sitting at home playing golf, but this is amazing. Put your hands down for those six people. I'm sorry. Help me out, guys, if I miss anybody. If you're online right now, God sees you. I can't see you, but God sees you right where you are. Raise your hand in your home. Tell people online right now, make in the comment. We're not going to make you do anything, but we just want to love the Lord together. I want to pray for those six people or if anybody I missed your hands or those online. God, you have seen them. They raised their hand. They came to church during COVID. Or they're attending and attending online during COVID. 
rather than doing things outdoors that they could have been doing today, and they have said, we want to surrender our life to you. God, like the woman that weeps on your feet, may our devotion overflow in our life for you. That's you in the room. Pray this with me silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I'm not perfect. Forgive me for doing life without you. And on this day, I surrender my life to you fully. I do this beautiful thing. I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. I do a 180, God. I pray you make me a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I surrender my entire life to your Lordship. God, we love you and we celebrate you and we pray that you would use us. Make make us reconcilers. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen, amen. Wow, guys, it's been an incredible morning. I invite you to stand as we close in worship and uh, to any of the staff out there, you know, at the last service, I didn't get to pray with somebody because there weren't enough people in the prayer room. So if anybody would join me over in the prayer room, if you're ready for prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. But let's worship God together. Can we take a minute and just thank our pastor?